God. The saving Word of God. The helping Word of God. And here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. Touch me. Illumine me. Fill me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at each other and say, you've never looked better. Thank you. <laughs> got, a, um, got a little picture that we want to show you this morning. <laughs> there they are. Helen, Helen E.G. got on to me that I wasn't smiling in the previous picture I posted, so I, uh, I put a big smile on here. And uh, Lincoln was whispering Gigi's name as they were help, being held there. I'm sure that's what she was saying. Uh, she's, uh, she's quite a little, a little girl. We're excited for her and uh, Corey and Megan. And uh, they'll be around this place uh, around Christmas Eve, so... Uh, that'll be a fun time for us and chance to see them and to see that little baby. And so looking forward to that time. Houston's a long way. We drove this time. It's a long way to Houston. I didn't, I didn't get much of a nap. People thought I was sleeping. I was in prayer. And my wife took a picture of me while my eyes were closed. And had I done something of that nature... I probably wouldn't be with you today, so <laughs> glad she was driving. She did a lot of the driving because she gets real nervous if I drive. If I put it in reverse, then she starts doing this, you know, so it's, it's really ugly, but nevertheless. And we stopped at a place called Bucky's. Anybody familiar with Bucky's? Oh, my goodness. It's a quick trip on steroids. This thing is amazing. <laughs> There's at least a 100 gas pumps and all of them had a car at it, plus the truck side. But you go inside, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's in Madisonville, Texas. Really? Because <laughs> there's nothing between Dallas and Houston, except Bucky's. And maybe next week I'll show you my new friend, Bucky. I took a picture of him. So <clears throat> it's uh, quite a place, quite a place. But uh, nevertheless, glad to be home and uh, your, your bed always sleeps better than any bed, amen? We, we went on hot wire and got a real good price on some hotels, uh, we thought, but the thing with hot wire is you don't know what you're getting until you get it. We saved 60%, I guess that was good, <laughs> but, but, we ended up at an extended stay hotel, and it's really not a hotel. They don't service your room but once every seven days. Now, if you want to service your room, they're more than happy to give you clean linens and let you do it. It was, it was quite an experience. But we were two blocks from uh, the Houston, Texas football stadium. Oh, I could smell it. It was awesome. <laughs> it was wonderful. How you doing? I, I wish I could say it like Don says it, but... How are we doing? Let's, oh, we need to see a promo video, don't we, Jeff? I've been just babbling on and on and forgotten. Let's run that by and get prepared for the message this morning.
There is nothing more dramatic in a movie than the last words spoken by the main character that's dying. Sometimes it reinforces the message of the story. Sometimes it makes way for a sequel. Sometimes it's a message of inspiration to other people. I've got a few of them I want to share with you. The first one is Spock in Star Trek. You may not can see that. I try to make it big. From the wrath of Khan, as he sacrifices himself for his friends, he says, live long and prosper. Remember as he splits his, can you do that? All of you, split your finger, yeah. Some of you are much more dexterously than I. Mine keep wanting to spread out. Plus with arthritis, it gets harder all the time to split them. The second one is William Wallace in Braveheart. He's about to be headed and he yells the word, Freedom! Yep, you remember. Yoda in Star Wars. Return of the Jedi. Left Luke with this. Luke, the force runs strong in your family. Pass on what you have learned. Luke, there is another Skywalker. That left uh, room for sequel 1904 of <laughs> Star Wars. Return of the Jedi. Jack to Rose in Titanic. Tells her, never let go. Never let go. Then the last one, Captain John Miller in Saving Pride Ryan. He says, earn this, James. Earn it. Last words are important. Last words leave and make an impression. We're going to look at some of the last words of Paul today. The Apostle Paul if you remember from last week's message, and by the way, welcome today and welcome to our series, The Story. Two weeks left in our, in our story series. Uh, we finish up with Paul today and then next week is the end times. Don't want to miss it and talk about the end times next week. But let's review a little bit from Paul's life last week. Uh, in Acts 9, we read about his radical conversion. He sings the song, Blinded by the Light. Yeah. He was on the road to Damascus, and he gets blinded. Paul was a recipient and a spokesman for God's grace. He was a messenger of grace. In fact, his favorite word was grace. He would say grace before each meal. Just like we do. Amen. You bow your heads at the table, and somebody says grace, and then you move on. Or something similar. In Acts 13, we find the early church being committed to mission. And taking the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. One of the great stories that we're a part of, that we're just beginning this story with this couple. Craig and Katie Bennett. They left today for Vanuatu. They left this morning for Vanuatu. She asked us to pray for them because when they get to one of the countries that they're in route, they want to charge them a second time for their luggage. So hopefully they won't have that happen to them. So you pray for Craig and Katie. It's been a long journey, but they're on their way now to serve in Vanuatu, and we're going to be a part of that right along with them. Looking forward to seeing what happens, what God does through them. So, they not only took the message worldwide, but they sent the very best that they had to take that message. 
They went about the mission faithfully. Remember, they were stoned and went back into the city. After they stoned them and threw them out of the city, they got up and went back into the city. <laughs> they went about their mission joyfully. Remember, they were arrested, put in prison in stocks, and they were praying and singing. I don't know if I'd have been praying or singing. I'd have been gritting my teeth a lot, maybe. But not Paul and Silas. And then in the book of Acts, we read of three missionary journeys that Paul took. Returns to Jerusalem and gets arrested, mobbed. The Sanhedrin hate him. They convince, and the Sanhedrin are the religious, the religious smart guys. That's the Sanhedrin. They were what we would call the elders of the church today. They set up very high and pious and had robes on and collars turned backwards and whatever they were. They called themselves all kinds of flowery names and expected people to kiss them, kiss their hands when they walked by, to bow down to them when they walked by. That's the type of spirit that these Sanhedrin carried and Pharisees. Really? <laughs> I mean, there's preachers today that think that, aren't there? They think you ought to be Worshiping them as much as you worship Jesus. I mean, after all, I am the preacher. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of sad. But they, uh, Sanhedrin then influenced Governor Felix and Festus and even the appeals to Caesar. They made King Agrippa was brought in. They were shipwrecked. Finally, he's imprisoned in Rome. Acts 28.31 says, Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul didn't stop preaching and teaching the Word of God. It didn't matter what his circumstance was. It didn't matter. He still did it. And I don't think that he took his... Bible, per se, and beat people up with it. I just think he had conversations, don't you? I think he'd get a glass of water and maybe a cup of coffee. I don't know, did they have coffee back then? If they had a quick trip, he'd have taken them to quick trip, got a cappuccino. But, you know, he just had conversation. And in conversation, he would bring up his relationship with Jesus Christ. And how that profoundly changed him. Wow. Paul was released from imprisonment. He visited some churches. Tradition says that he went to Spain. Later we know that he was in Ephesus. And during that time, the famous fire of Rome broke out. Nero was under a lot of suspicion. There were Christians in high-ranking places who did not approve of certain lifestyles. And so Christians then were accused it was under these conditions that warrants were issued for the arrests of leaders of Christianity, including Paul. It's been said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would they find enough evidence to convict you? Hey, that's something to think about. Something to think about. And he would have been sent to Rome to stand trial for that crime, and this time he would be in a dark, damp prison with no opening, but the hole 
through which the prisoners were let down into the pit. In Israel, when I toured Israel back in 1997, we went to Caiaphas's house, and they showed us, he was the sheriff of, of Jerusalem, and they showed us the pit that more than likely Jesus was lowered down into, and it's about a 30-foot drop, and they would just wrap ropes around their arms and lift them down through a little hole down to the bottom of the pit, and there could be a number of people down in there. I don't think they had cable television or access to the internet. I don't think they had indoor plumbing. (laughs) I don't even know if they had a shovel to work with. Wow. Deserted, shackled this time. He's shackled in prison, in the dungeon. But Paul remained strong to the final day of his life. And historians agree that Paul probably lost his life around A.D. 67 when Nero ruled. Tradition has it that he was beheaded. And during his ministry, Paul wrote letters to churches that he had started and left behind. And many of those believers were Gentiles and had no clue about God and how he wanted them to live. So Paul knew that if they didn't live according to God's values, that they would have no influence among their friends and neighbors. So he wrote about God's standards. And he wrote to specific churches, but intended to be passed along and Now the echo of those words are still heard some 2,000 plus years later. Last words written to Timothy. We find some of them in 2 Timothy. Written during Paul's second Roman imprisonment. In the final chapter, probably written before he died of his life. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 through And I just have the verse reference up there for you. So in your Bibles or your electronic device you have your Bible on, be sure and look these up and read along with me. Beginning at verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Two days Paul honored today and that day. (laughs) He lived for today and looked forward to that day. That day when he'd be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And that day of the coming of the Lord. Ancient Rome, they had banquets in ancient Rome, lots of them. And in that banquet there was a ritual of pouring a cup of wine onto the ground in honor of the Roman gods. So Paul borrows from that ritual, that pagan ritual, and describes his life as an offering being poured out. Not for a pagan God, but for a living, risen Lord Jesus. Pouring out his life. And what Paul's telling Timothy, he's giving him some parting words. And so he gives them, he gives Timothy basically two closing phrases. The first one, stay the course. Stay the course. Paul knew it was possible. God was with him. God would provide for him. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, pick it up at verse 23, says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. 
Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, (coughs) danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? I'm not weak. Who is made to fall? And I'm not indignant. (laughs) These were Paul's recruiting words to Timothy. I don't know if you read this list of your job description, and this was part of it. You might want to consider working for another company. Amen? But yet, this is what God's expecting of you and me. He's expecting us to stand firm. He's expecting us to endure hardship. He's expecting us, when the going gets rough, to stand and get going. He's expecting us to be counted on. He's expecting us, no matter what it is that we face, to face it with power and with authority and with the Spirit of Christ in us. That's what He's expecting. God is. He's not expecting us to sit back and when it gets a little tough, then we pucker our lip out and start pouting and get on our pity pot. And what He's after. He doesn't need those kind of believers. He doesn't need those kind of Christians. He needs the Christians who will go all the way. They're in it all the way. We've got coaches in our church. Coaches, you don't want mediocre players, do you? Nope, you want players that are committed to go the course. They'll show up when, when it, nobody else will. They'll show up at 6 o'clock in the morning. They'll run and keep running and keep running until they can't run anymore. Yeah, that's, the, that's who you're looking for. Don't you think that's who God's looking for? See, most people have become Christians. They knew enough, found the Lord enough to be saved, and that's all they've done. They haven't grown one lick since then. Or if they did, they quit growing. Because they think they're, they've achieved whatever they need to achieve. And God's not pleased. God's not happy. God's wondering where you're at. He's wondering, get up here. What's wrong with you? Well, boy, Lord, it's rough out there, you know. I mean, people talk bad about me. When are you going to quit whining and get with it? When's the last time you memorized a verse of Scripture? Well, you got a real easy one this week. I gave you three verses last week. I knew that through most of you. When I had three verses up there, you went, wait, 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 now. <laughs> These little guys are, are quoting the Beatitudes. Psalm 23. Well, they can remember. They, you know, they're young. You can remember. You remember your social security number. You remember your telephone number. You remember your waist size. Just soon forget it, but you remember it. Amen. So how do you stay the course? I'm sure Timothy asked him, how do I stay the course? Well, you stay the course by being in the Word. You stay the course by being in the Word. You see, the series we've been doing, the story, is one single story. It's the story of redemption. It's God winning back a prodigal race of people. 
The story of a creator winning back a creation. A king who decides not to power up, but decides to become one of the people. And to woo them back. It's the story of a father who's lost a son. And instead of forcing him to come home, he decides to wait and wait. And when the son decides to come home, the father welcomes him with open arms. It's the story of our father. And it's your story, and it's my story, and it's been preserved in the document called the Bible that we seldom read anymore. 2 Timothy chapter 3, pick it up at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been Acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Four things he tells Timothy in this passage. Teaching. The Word of God is good for teaching. Telling us what's right. The Word of God is good for rebuking or reproofing. Telling us how to get right. It's also good for correcting. Telling us uh, how to get right. The rebuking is telling us what's not right. I, I jumped over that one. And then training, lastly, telling us how to stay right. So teaching what's right, rebuking what's not right, correcting how to get right in training, how to stay right. I sound like my grandmother all over. And these weren't just words on a page. They were like a mirror staring back. How many of you take any time to look in the mirror? Or just long enough? How many of you are in the just long enough period group? Just long enough. How many of you stand there and look at look at what's in that mirror? Now, I didn't think anybody would raise their hand. I just thought it would be fun to ask. Because if you stand there and look long enough, you don't like what you see, do you? Especially if you're getting older. You're more wrinkled, got less hair. I used to couldn't see through my hair. Now, I, hopefully, I can see hair. <laughs> Somebody said, well, it's growing back. Well, maybe, but really fine. It's like frog's hair. <laughs> Frog, frog's hair. They don't have hair. <laughs> yeah, okay. But at the end of chapter 4, Paul asked Timothy to bring his parchments, most likely his Old Testament scriptures, Paul finished well because he was a man of the book. He filled his life with God's Word. And now he encourages Timothy to become a man of God by becoming a man of the Word. This week, put this in your hands again. If you haven't in a while, put it in your hands again. And once it's in your hands, open it and read it. Spend some time in it. Preach, I don't know where to start. Start in Proverbs. There's 31 days in any month. And there's 31 Proverbs. Read one per day. You'll be amazed at what God can do with that wisdom literature in your life. You might say, well, I'm a New Testament person. (laughs) Okay? Gospel of John. Read it over and over and over. Now, if you want to get beat up, read the book of James. If you want to be scared to death, read the book of Revelation. But you shouldn't be scared about Revelation because Revelation is a book of hope. It's a book of hope for persecuted Christians. 
You know what Revelation says in a nutshell? We win! Like I say, I was two blocks away from, from that uh, Texans football stadium. I could smell it. Coach Trimble, I talked to him yesterday. He said, are you ready for some football? I said, on Monday night, ready for some football. I started singing. Started gyrating in my seat. My wife says, quit it! My son Corey watched a preseason football game so Lincoln could watch with him. We're breaking her in right. She's getting the Word of God in football. Amen. We'll let it go in that order. But you've got to become a man of the Word. Put down those books you're reading. Put down the remote. Put down the iPad. Put down the game controllers. Spend some time in God's Word. Stay the course. And then lastly, he said, pass the baton. Pass the baton. We read multiple times of Paul telling his story. Paul took advantage of every opportunity to share his story with Felix, with Festus, with Agrippa. Remember, Agrippa said, almost you persuaded me. Almost. Now, if you're King James, it's almost thou persuadest me. That's how most of us memorize what Agrippa said. (coughs) I mean, even when he was chained to the guards in the prison, he took the opportunity to share the message of Christ. In fact, he reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And when I read those passages, I think of my grandmother Roundtree. Her name was Willie, <laughs> but I never called her Willie. It was always Granny. Granny Roundtree. She was as committed a Christian woman as I've ever met in my life. She knew God in a personal, intimate way. She never missed church. She never missed a revival meeting. She never missed Sunday school. She never allowed her kids and grandkids, if we were at her house, to miss either. There wasn't any of this... Oh, I'm tired. I can't get up. At that point, there's either a bucket of cold water coming on you, or there was this fingernail in your ear, or there was something. You getting out of that bed, and you're going to go to church if you're at her house. Any of you raised like that? Yeah. And you know what I discovered is that my grandmother had developed a drug problem. She drugged me to Sunday school, drugged me to church, drugged me to revival meetings. Now, she went on Monday night to the revival meetings, and those were all week long, amen. There's none of this starting you know, three or four days. It's all week long. And I can always remember walking by her room at night, and she always wore her hair up in a bun. It was real long. And she'd have her hair undone, sitting in her favorite rocking chair, that my brother has right now at his home. But she'd be sitting in that rocking chair with a Bible open in her lap, reading and praying. And I'll bet you she's praying for all these nodhead grandsons that she had. Two of us ended up preachers. I know she'd be proud of us. I sang at her funeral, and my brother preached at her funeral because he can't sing. 
I could have done both, but why brag? But she would read and pray every day. You could set your clock on Granny sitting in that chair with that Bible open. So how do we end up in the ministry? Because of my grandmother. Because of my grandmother. Now that might have been your grandparents. Might even have been your parents who passed their faith on to you. For some of you, you're the first generation Christian. You didn't come from a believing family. It might have been a youth minister who encouraged you. It might have been a Sunday school teacher who loved on you or one of our youth coaches or youth sponsors. It might have been somebody like that. It might have been a parent that cared enough about you to haul you someplace. I mean, we drove 13 hours to let some kids hear a message of Jesus. Going out, it wasn't so much fun, but coming back, it was blessed. See, Paul doesn't want Timothy to rely on his parents' faith, however. He encourages him to make it his own. In verse 5, he says, But I'm persuaded that it now lives in you also. Can it be said that Jesus is living in you also from the person who gave you that faith? Well, how do we pass the baton? We do it by sharing the Word. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and, tra- and teaching. Preach the Word. Now, these words were written to a church leader. But they're not restricted to those who stand behind pulpits, who are paid and draw salaries from a church. The same word that he uses here to preach the Word to Timothy is the same word used in Mark 145 of the leper whom Jesus heals. He tells the leper, go tell people what's happened. And the Bible says that he talked freely, spreading the good news. The former leper wasn't formally presenting a sermon to an audience, but he was telling anybody who would listen, the coffee shop, a quick trip, wherever you go, he told them the message of Jesus. And now he used to be this way, and now he's this way. There it is. There it is. Has Jesus so profoundly affected your life that it's so obvious you're different? If not, you need to recheck it out. You've let the world creep back into your life so much that nobody can tell the difference between you and the world. There's something wrong with that picture. Something terribly wrong with that picture. College is starting up. Kids going off to school. You saw a movie Friday night. Some of you got here. Wasn't that a powerful movie? Well, I'd want my young people to be able to stand up to a college professor who said, I'll give you an F if you, if you don't denounce God. Boy, I wish my kids would be the ones that stand up and say, oh, well, let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> but you see, their faith is right here. They can't go beyond right here. Because the adults that are around them, their faith is right here. Because they've never grown past the salvation experience. Shame on you. Have you led somebody to Christ in your lifetime yet? If not, get with it. Don't go to heaven alone. (laughs) Don't go to heaven alone. Pass the baton. Make a difference in the future generation. Leave a legacy. The lives of the Apostle Paul and the Emperor Nero overlapped for a short time in the city of Rome. Nero's name made headlines. Paul's didn't. Some would say Nero was a hero and Paul was a zero. (laughs) Paul was a stoop-shouldered, balding, crooked-nosed, cloudy-eyed old man. Paul was 
common, described as a bald-headed, bow-legged, small man with a big nose and scruffy, thick eyebrows that met in the middle. And a body covered with scars. Paul kept talking about Jesus as if he were God. So Paul got locked up in prison in Rome. And if you asked anyone in Rome in the seventh decade, who will make the greatest impact on the world, Nero or Paul? Well, they would say Nero. After all, Nero was married to a blonde. I mean, a head-turning beauty blonde. She bathed in donkey milk. (laughs) I don't know what the benefit of donkey milk is. They kept 400 donkeys at the palace so she could bathe in that milk all the time. She would be dried by swan feathers. Now, ladies, I know that you're using this next method. She was massaged with crocodile mucus. Just the very thought. And furthermore, how in the world are you going to collect crocodile? But Nero liked soft skin, I guess. And what Nero wanted, Nero got, and at age 25, he deified himself by erecting a 120-foot statue of himself. Paul looked, people looked up to Nero, but they looked down on Paul. But who would make a difference? Nero, at the age of 29, was lonely and paranoid. His second wife killed his first wife. Then Nero kicked his pregnant second wife, and she died. And four years after Paul's execution, Nero committed suicide. Nero was no hero. There are no cathedrals named St. Nero. People don't name their sons Nero. But lots of people name their children Paul or Paula, because Paul still impacts us to this very day. And from the lower story perspective, following Jesus can be risky, but not the better choice. But in this life, the jury's still out. Paul persevered and passed the baton because he knew the upper story. And you do too. You do too. Father, this morning, as we conclude our message today, the invitation is for people to come to you. Few will step out and walk to the front and say, boy, I need to do something today. We've got one that's going to do that. But, Father, few will step out either from embarrassment or lack of courage. But here's what I know, Lord. You're every place in this room. You're in the chair next to everyone that's here. You're actually living inside everybody that's here. If they'll but recognize you. Surrender to you. And so, Father, I'm asking you this morning to do something in each of those lives. Father, I'm asking you this morning to be very real to each and every one of us. Father, I'm asking you this morning to reach down with your finger through your spirit and to stir our hearts. I'm asking you this morning to create in each of us a desire to want to move beyond the surface and to go deeper with you. Time is coming. Time is coming in this country where we're going to have to be standing for you or we'll be counted against you. It's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be easy. But so many have gone before us who've showed us the way. And that way is faithfulness 
And that way is an unbridled joy. And that way says, we're saved. So God, if there's somebody here today struggling with a sin, needing to be released, somebody struggling with a life situation, needs an answer, whatever need they have, would they let us know so we can pray, help in whatever way possible. Let us be your eyes and your ears, your mouths, your arms, your hands, your legs. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.